Mac Power Users, Episode 501, iOS 13 and the Shortcuts Field Guide. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, joined by my pal and yours, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hey, David. How are you? Good. You know, for such a long time, I was watching those numbers count up to 500. It is kind of weird to be north of that now. <laughs> it it feels uh, it feels weird, but uh, episode 500 has been, I think, very well received. I think people are enjoying you being uh, in in the hot seat. I think, as as we said in the title, so uh, it wasn't that hot. It really fun. wasn't. <laughs> yeah. But I I, I really uh, I just wanted to say in the forums, and I've got several emails and just. Lots of love from the community, and thank you all for uh, supporting us this long and and letting us continue to have the honor of making this show, because it really is uh, a privilege, and I'm really happy that people still listen. I mean, I- I'm super glad, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just come on. Uh, we but do... The- but the, you know, I was listening to the show uh, yesterday before we recording, and really, what I said is I meant it. You know, we really want to make every show one that can can bring everybody in. And uh, and I, I hope that people get that. I think so. Today, we're going to get real nerdy about some stuff, too, which is yes, going to be yes, fun. We Before we get to that, though, we do have uh, Mac Power Users 500 merchandise. This is limited run. You have until September 29th at 7 p.m. your local time to pre-order one of the shirts. Uh, the shirts look awesome. They've been selling really well, which is really exciting. We also have patches and coins and stickers you can get before then as well. This stuff just looks awesome. I'm really excited when my stickers and challenge coins show up uh, here in a in a few few days. If you order stuff besides the shirt, it'll ship pretty quickly. The shirts will be printing mid October. So if you order a shirt or your order includes a shirt, you should be getting your stuff. Uh, ahead of Halloween. So you can dress up as David for Halloween if you want to. And at Mac yes. Power Users 500 yes. shirt. That's what I'm going to go as. I've just decided. Yeah, we could, uh, you could, you know, when you answer the door instead of trick or treat, you can explain some automation or something. <laughs> That's what kids really want to hear about, right? So so what are you going to do if you meet someone and they present you with the Mac Power Users Challenge coin? It's going to be like the relay coin. I feel like I've got to, uh, I got to have both in my bag now. Although yeah. someone in the in the forums pointed out that in, we talked about the military background of these things and how yeah. the coins sort of have ranking as well. And depending on when you get it in your career, what you get it for, some carry more weight than others. I love my children equally, so I will carry both the Relay and the MPU one in my backpack from here on out. Excellent. So if you hear uh, the sounds of coin clinking around, turn around. I may be behind you. Well, if you meet me and you show me your your MPU challenge coin, you're at least going to get a hug. Wow. Depending on how much time I have, you may get more. <laughs> Cup of tea or something. I'm not going to commit to a hug, I don't think. Yeah, I don't feel like that's that's really in on brand for you. Mm-mm. No. Okay. Um, well, anyway, so that stuff is for a limited time. When this show goes on air, there isn't that much time left. So if you were thinking about getting some of it, uh, go in it, please get it now before it's mm-hmm. too late. We always hear from people after these things end that are like, ah, oh, I didn't realize. So we're letting you know now there's not much time. Get in there and get your shirts, your challenge coins, and your other MPU merch before it's too late. Now that the uh, now that that stuff's out, the other thing I love is all the feedback we've got about the logo because it looks the MPU five hundred logo looks awesome. It really does. Simon did a great job of it. It feels and and looks like Mac Power users, but clearly it's something a little bit special. And it's like the balance that he struck. 
he's he's amazing. Yes. And speaking of amazing, the listeners have been doing a great job with the St. Jude Drive. Yeah, it's been it's been wild. Throughout September, we've been raising money for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Our initial goal was seventy five thousand. We blew past that pretty quickly, and then we set it at a hundred thousand. We blew through that. Uh, currently, as we record this, I think people know we record these several days before they come out. Uh, we're coming up on one hundred fifty thousand, and it's it's simply amazing to see the community once again rally behind this because it's a cause that. It's so important to me, but so important to uh, so many other families. And uh, as this show is coming out, we have done our six-hour video podcast-a-thon. So there'll be a link to that in the show notes uh, where you can check that out. And I think on a future feedback show, I want to get into some of the the nuts and bolts of that because it was like we were like in a TV studio. It was like super fancy and nerdy, way cooler than stuff we normally get to do from like a tech perspective. So I want to share a little bit of that with the MPU listeners uh, in a future feedback episode. But yeah, I definitely want to hear how you put Apple technology to work and making your own telethon. Yeah. <laughs> and, and as we record this, it hasn't happened yet, you know, the paradox and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would really hope that if I watch it at some point, one of you wears a bow tie that you untie and just like leave hanging on your shirt. Mm. Well, will you do that for me, Stephen? I don't, think that future slash past Steven is really a bow tie kind of person, but... Maybe Michael. Maybe Mike will do it. I don't know. I I just feel like that's necessary. All right. There's lots of other hijinks uh, in that video, so don't don't worry. If you haven't donated yet uh, and you would like to, please head over to stjude.org slash MPU. That money goes to fund research and care for kids with cancer at St. Jude, but also kids around the world because... St. Jude shares all of their research freely, just like they open source all this stuff, which is really cool. And it means it impacts kids in every state of the country, a bunch of countries around the world. Uh, and uh, thank you so much if you have given. And if you haven't, stjude.org slash MPU. Okay, on to the content today. We have uh, a new version of the op- iOS operating system uh, that's going to have dropped just a few days before the show releases. We want to talk about that, but also I've got a new field guide because Apple did something this year. They basically rewrote shortcuts. Yeah, yeah. do you remember if we were we were on the clock a little bit when Apple bought Workflow? Yeah. So, so many of us were afraid that it was going to get sort of put on a shelf and, and kind of forgotten about. And I've just yeah. got to hand it to the, the folks at Apple and the, the old workflow team, many of whom are still at Apple. They've done such a good job at not only keeping it alive, but going further and further every year with it. And in, in some ways, I think this is the most exciting software project within Apple because they just, they've kept the foot on the gas year after year. And this year is perhaps the biggest change we've seen since they, since they bought it a few years ago. Yeah, well, you know, the Automators podcast did a meetup in San Jose during WWDC, and it was this luncheon, and, you know, Sal Sagoyan came and some other kind of folks that are active in the automation community. But what I didn't expect was basically the entire workflow team showed up. Uh, It's a big team, and these guys, it's, you know, it's bigger than it was when it was workflow. And what I was telling them, my, my kind of take from the outside was, Last year, they added shortcuts to iOS, which was great, but it was like the flower had just been planted, you know, and this year the roots have taken hold because 
um, the the new version of shortcuts is both easier to use and more powerful, you know? And so they've, they've kind of solved this problem in two different directions. They've added more, more, you know, they put more gas in the tank. It can do more stuff, but they've also taken some of the most common problems people have using workflow and building their own work. I'm sorry, using shortcuts and building their own shortcuts. And they've solved that with a new programming kind of, paradigm that is much easier to use for non-programmers. So I, I couldn't be happier except for the fact that my goal at, at, at WWC was say, oh, I'll do a short update for the shortcuts field guide. Then I realized, oh, they redid everything. There's no way the <laughs> right. stuff I did last year is going to work at all. And mm-hmm. in fact, you were with me. It's like, it took me like two or three days to accept that, you know, <laughs> but yeah, You're like maybe I can overhaul it. And I just keep thinking you can't, you got to You just got to burn it, burn it down. Yeah, no. I know. So I got, I was telling you before we start recording, I definitely have over 150 hours in this. I haven't added up the last several days, you know, the push at the end, but this was quite a project putting together this field guide. Uh, I had a production question, if you don't mind sure. peeling back the curtain a little bit. So the most recent one I watched before this was the keyboard maestro, which of course is all yeah. Mac. This yeah. is on both your iPad and your iPhone, because Shortcuts only runs on iOS. Yeah. How different are the workflows when you're capturing on macOS versus iOS? Is one more difficult than the other? Do they offer unique challenges? How does that compare? Yeah. iOS is harder. Um, I, I guess harder isn't the right word. iOS is more time consuming okay. for a couple of reasons. The first is, you know, you can't make touches appear. You know, like on the Mac, when you move the mouse and click the mouse, you can see that on the screen with iOS. It's not simple to do that. Now, in this new field guide, I did a couple of the videos with a Bluetooth mouse attached to the iPad um, where I wanted where I had kind of complicated stuff going on. I wanted to, to show you exactly what I was doing. But that becomes distracting as well um, because it's like it's just too much. Um, so what we do is we animate and I have JF Brissett helps me with some of the post-production. So between him and me, we go in and we animate the touches. Like if I say tap oh, this gosh. button, we, we put it, we animate that. So that adds a step. And then the other thing we do, or I do is, uh, I love the ScreenFlow app. I think it's the premier screencasting app, except for one problem. And that's the connection to iOS devices sometimes fails. I guess, well, I haven't even tried it in a year, but it, it used to be like you would connect it because you can connect the, the device via cable to your Mac and then record directly into ScreenFlow with an iOS device in theory. But the problem is, you know, maybe one in every seven or eight, it would just wouldn't record for whatever reason. And when you start recording, you look down at the device. So you're looking at the device the whole time. You're doing a very complex recording and you get down and you look up at the screen and you realize it froze like 10 seconds in and it didn't record any of it. And that's, that's, that's just no fun when that happens. That sounds terrible. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, so the solution is, uh, as I record all of the iOS stuff in QuickTime to a QuickTime movie with a cable attached to the device, then I save the QuickTime file to the Mac then I import the QuickTime file to ScreenFlow where I do the edits in ScreenFlow. So um, there's an extra step for our iOS in that way too. It's a lot of work. It sounds it sounds like a lot of work. Well, well this one was tough too. So the, just to give you some numbers, the, the course is 108 videos. 
It's actually 109, but the the uh, there's a video on the differences between 3.0 and 3.1, which I'm going to take out once 3.1 releases in a couple weeks. And the organization, you know, getting the organization right and deciding what you're going to cover takes a lot of time. So I broke it up. Uh, two of the big pieces of feedback I got on the original shortcuts field guide was people that are at the beginner level needed more help with the beginning stuff, you know, just kind of get me over the hump. I'm not a programmer. So I added a section called key concepts that kind of helps that, that, that demographic. Mm -hmm. And then other people were saying, Hey, I get a lot of this stuff. I want the harder stuff. And the first version of shortcuts, the harder stuff was kind of inconsistent, you know, like it didn't work. I, I remember like at one point, I think Federico, the base 64 stuff kind of fried his iCloud account. Yeah, it was bad. And I, I didn't want to add a bunch of that stuff in and have um, complex tools break people's devices, but all that's kind of sorted out now. So I added another section called advanced concepts that has base 64 URL callbacks, more complicated programming um, concepts. Mm -hmm. um, so I tried to solve those two problems, but at the end of the day, the course came out to be, I think it's almost six and a half hours. It's definitely over six hours. Um, and the, uh, it's a lot of, it's a lot of video, Steven. It's a lot of video. It is. I've spent the last several days hold up in my studio, watching a bunch of it. And as always, you do such a good job at, at building on the previous video and previous concepts. And, and I get what people are saying about getting over the hump because kind of like there's a lot of similarities between keyboard mastering shortcuts, sort of the, uh, the meta level, but I think yeah. in any automation, there's just terms you need to know before you can get very far. You need to know vaguely what a trigger is. You don't need to know all of them, but you need to know what a, what a trigger can do. What 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 yeah. what is an action? What is a list or a dictionary, a variable? And I think you've done a good job explaining that while kind of moving people along in their knowledge. So I'm always in awe of these things that that you put together because I do not have that skill set. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it, it's a, it's a lot of work, but honestly, it's some of the, the funnest things I do. I, I really, I mean, there's a lot of time in these things, but I was just looking at it today because we're, I'm going to be pushing the publish button on it later tonight. And I am, I'm just so happy with myself. It came out so nice. And I, I feel like it is going to help people get better at automation on their devices. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's six hours, 108 videos. Um, if you use the code MPU shortcuts with no space, that's MPU shortcuts, no space, you get $5 off. If you bought the prior shortcuts one, I am sending an email to you that will have a different code in it that gets you more off. So you get a bigger discount if you bought the prior one. But if you haven't bought it yet, you get a $5, you know, we're going to have like a little launch discount. So it's $5 off um, for a short time after it launches with MPU shortcuts. If you're not interested in buying it but want to get better at shortcuts, I did a sample. I always do a sample video, and the the site is linked in the show notes. The sample video is 40 minutes, you know, because I was like picking a few things from every section before I knew it. I had you know 40 minutes of video assembled. So I remember <laughs> I used, I used to sell courses that were 40 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> time has moved past that. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so th that's the details of it. Uh, there's a link in the uh, show notes, but I, we're going to talk about shortcuts today, but I guess I had to get my pitch in at the beginning, but I, I'm very happy with the way it came out. The shortcuts field guide, iOS 13 edition, and I hope you like it. It's closed captioned and I've like, I've solved a bunch of the problems I've had in the past. There's one course chapter that has all the downloadable shortcuts. So you can download them all to your device. You don't have to build them from scratch. 
And I've also combined all the videos to make it easier to download a combined videos. Um, so you, like if you want to get on an airplane rather than downloading 108 videos, you only have to download like seven or eight. Cool. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Head to onepasswordcom MPU to get a nice discount on your 1Password subscription. I feel like the battle with the internet and security is going to get worse before it gets better. And you need a tool at your back that can protect you. And I recommend using 1Password for this problem. What 1Password does to begin with is it creates strong and unique passwords for all your logins. So if you go and sign up for a new account somewhere, you're not going to use the same old password over again that the crooks can get. You know, if they break your password at one website, they get it at all of them if you do it that way. Instead, you get a nice, safe, and secure password. And 1Password does all the hard work of remembering that and filling it in for you. But it does so much more. The folks behind 1Password are trying to make an application that can actually protect your security and your privacy. For instance, 1Password will monitor the sites that you have accounts with to let you know if there's any problems with them. If you've got a business, and I know there's a lot of folks listening to this show that have a business, you can get a 1Password for business account that allow you to not only make sure you're protecting your passwords, but your employees and coworkers are as well. I think a lot of people just don't really understand and appreciate this stuff. So having 1Password at your back can solve this problem. With a 1Password for business account, you can share vaults between each other. So there's a certain secure website everybody needs to get into. You can manage that. It's much better to have them put that in a secure vault than write it on a sticky and put it on their uh, monitor. I remember once I was at a uh, attorney's office, I was taking a deposition. As I was walking out, uh, his uh, paralegal's desk was right next to the room he took the deposition in and he had wrote on a sticky pad and he'd stuck it onto his computer it said network password and it was like pencil it was like a really dumb password oh no and it's we're okay this was opposing counsel and i said hey um hey mike you know just so you know your network password is pencil <laughs> and he's like what <laughs> and i said i just read it on your paralegal's desk over there i'm not going to break into your network but maybe you guys should think about that well you don't want to be that guy you don't mm-hmm. you, you want your company to be protected so you get a one password for business account and you're going to be protected in fact as we record this one password has just um, set up a new program for business. It's called Advanced Protection, where it can create policies, it can prevent threats, it can monitor access. It's even a higher level of security at the business level. And I think that's something worth checking out if you've got multiple people accessing your important passwords. Either way, head over to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps. You get 20% off. They're a great company working to protect your privacy. Whether you've got a family account, a business account, it doesn't matter. They're going to be there for you. Thank you, 1Password, for supporting and sponsoring the Mac Power Users. So like you mentioned, with iOS 13, Shortcuts has been really rewritten. And it has gained a lot of new capability and a lot of new features. And some of those are available now. And some of those will be available as third-party developers adopt them. You know, Shortcuts has really become an ecosystem more than just a single app. So hopefully it will get even, even better with time. Yeah. There, there's a, there's a couple things to break down there. Uh, the first is what I would call the new programming model. And mm-hmm. um, traditionally it was sh- workflow and then shortcuts was kind of very much like a traditional program where you have a variable, you know, a variable is something that you set somewhere in the program. And later you call that variable to do something with it. 
And the problem was that the declaration and the action on that variable took place sometimes very far apart in the program. And when I made the original shortcuts field guide, there's tons of actions in there where I would declare variables and then I'd call them because I wanted the user to understand, you know, and make sure that we got the right variable before we acted. Like if we're going to get the weather and we've got a, a shortcut that figures out, you know, for the next three days and then we're going to get the weather, we want to make sure that the weather we're getting with the shortcut is for the right day. You know, we don't want to get the weather for tomorrow when we think we're getting it for today. And with the old version of shortcuts and workflow before that, it wasn't obvious whether you got it right or not. And what they've done with this new programming model, it's like combining the nouns and verbs into one sentence and it's one program line. So you see, you know, get me the weather for today. And you can see that right in one line of a shortcut and you know that you exactly got it the way you wanted. And um, it sounds like something simple and something obvious, but it wasn't. And now that they've done it, uh, it makes using shortcuts so much easier for people who've never programmed before. Yeah, shortcuts has a, a way about itself that is less intimidating than even something like keyboard maestro or automator on the Mac. And it's still using the same concepts to your point, but there's something about its interface and something about the way that it treats variables and these other things as like draggable items or things you can just tap and rename very easily. It, it sort of takes some of the mystery out of it. And I think that's by design on Apple's part that they want shortcuts to be used by lots of people. If they wanted to make a programming environment, they could have done that. But shortcuts, while it has some of that, it doesn't isn't like a full bore programming system. Yeah. And I think that makes it easier for people like you and me to get into. Yeah, like I think one of the hits against Apple Script has always been it's you know, it's too weird for normal programmers because it tries to be plain English, but it's too programmery still for normal people. So it it's like a uh, it doesn't have a natural home. Uh, where I never hear that complaint with this new shortcuts, you know, programming model, because I think it's just, it is exactly what it, it means to be. It's very deliberate and it's very obvious. So you get, you know, give me the weather for tomorrow. Then the next command say, give me the weather for two days from now. And when you look at them, you know exactly what you're doing. I, I really take my hat off to them for the way they've done that. Um, they, they've done the same thing with these magic variables. Magic variables have been in shortcuts for a long time, but now you can call them from right inside the actions that you're calling. So when I say get the weather for tomorrow, now I can say get me the humidity index for tomorrow or get me the wind speed for tomorrow. So, um, And all it takes is one tap, and then you select from a scrollable list. I mean, you feel like a programmer, and there's almost no cost of entry. When someone is 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 say someone is starting with shortcuts today that they're they're downloading it for the first time they're opening it for the first time shortcuts has several ways in right you can bring things in from applications so for instance if you have omnifocus installed you can sort of omnifocus can kind of i don't know what the verb is sort of donate things to shortcuts and you can do things within shortcuts you know take something from here put it into omnifocus i, I kind of view that as one sort of level of of interaction. You're basically just sharing data from one place to another that is not necessarily easily done in another way. And I think, honestly, I think it's how most people probably use shortcuts, at least in the beginning. I know looking through my shortcuts, that's how a lot of them are. It's just basically 
send this bit of data over here to do this other thing. But when people want to move to the next level, uh, when they want to start dealing with their own variables or their own uh, list or dictionaries, where do you think uh, a good place to start is? Well, I, I just want to kind of clarify that a little bit. Traditionally, okay, there were application actions and shortcuts, but they were application actions that were, in essence, created by the shortcuts team. You know, like uh, there was an OmniFocus action that could run a template to create a new project, but that was put in there by shortcuts. Uh, there wasn't, up until iOS 13, there wasn't a way for app developers to make their own actions. And uh, like, as we record this, we're just a day or two before the release of iOS 13, and suddenly the floodgates are starting to open. I, I was just playing with pCalc before we got online. pCalc has now got multiple math um, actions that it has donated to shortcuts with the most recent version of pCalc. So I can add all of pCalc's or, or much of pCalc's functionality to shortcuts and use it wherever I want in a shortcut. And a lot of app developers that are you know woke to this stuff are going to be creating those types of donations starting with iOS 13. Like I am intending to being, update this field guide because uh, as developers come out with new actions, I want to cover some of them um, because they're just going to be awesome. I'm sure that the people who are working on this hard are going to make some great stuff. Uh, but so the, the paradigm has shifted. We're no longer dependent on Apple to make them. Uh, now it's up to app developers to make them. And app developers want to make their apps popular. They want to sell apps. This is one, you know, this is a, this is a marketing point for them to say, Hey, we can make your device better at automation if you buy our app. Um, so I think this is going to be a good thing overall. And the other thing about this is this kind of solves the URL um, callback problem because like I do have a chapter on URL callbacks and explain how they work and give you some examples in this new field guide. But I've always felt that for a lot of people, URL callbacks are inaccessible. I mean, you've got to go to a special website. You've got to learn a very certain syntax to make it work. And you can do that. But people who are at, in line at the grocery store and want to make an automation aren't going to do that. Um, by creating these these wet these hooks into shortcuts through your own application, they're in essence replacing URL callbacks, which I think at the end of the day is probably a good thing. Yeah, I, I would imagine that Apple would like to see those callback URLs fade further and further away. And they they sort of callback URLs sort of rose up from the third party guys um like Greg and Marco and and other developers yeah. were there early with X callback URL and like a whole system got built on it, but it's sort of a house of cards to a degree. And this new system where developers can donate uh, actions to shortcuts in a more structured way is clearly superior, not only in terms of usability, because like you look at these callback URLs, they're not really easy to deal with. They're, they're not yeah. human readable yeah. and they, they do potentially have some security issues where uh, donated actions are much more secure and robust because they come from the app sandbox and that sort of thing. Exactly. And I do think that the URL callback is the reason why workflow exists and ultimately the reason why we have shortcuts, but it's something that we have to eventually get past. Um, although there's full URL callback support in the current version. So all that URL stuff you've got will still work. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not gone away, but I, 
I get the sense that it will at some point. Yeah. And, and uh, hopefully app developers will embrace this new system and create these amazing in-app shortcut, you know, functions where you feel like you don't need it anymore. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this on a recent episode of the automators where, you know, and, and our, our pitch to the audience was if you're using this stuff and there's something you do a URL callback with, you should write that app developer right now and say, Hey, this is something I use a callback. Can you come up with an action and shortcuts to replace it? And, um, the, this is the time to start, you know, asking developers and they need to know what stuff you're doing with it in order to, to prioritize. I think that's really good advice, but it's, it, but this is all good. So we've got a model that's easier to use. We've got the ability to constantly improve the actions available, the tools that are the toys. Maybe you get to play with improve with each app you buy from developers that are embracing this stuff. And, and it's written in a way that anybody can really start gluing these things together. And obviously, there's a whole lot of tricks to it. I mean, I, got, I made a six-hour six-hour course about it. But the uh, <laughs> but the um, but it's not you know on a basic level, this stuff is way more accessible to normal people. And and it's on everybody's phone now. You know, that's one of the big changes with iOS 13 is it just comes baked into the operating system. You get it with the uh, update. And I, you know, this is something that I wish had happened on the Mac. You know, I wish that Automator had got more love from Apple and that it had become more of a power. But, you know, this is our opportunity on iOS. And I I hope folks really embrace this. Yeah, me too. Uh, And I think they will. I think it being part of the system, it being more accessible through these new actions and something we haven't even talked about yet, but the the automation side of it with HomeKit and all these other triggers it is just there. There are way more ways into it now for everybody, and I think that will only make it more popular. Um, some other things that they've added that we hadn't talked about yet is conversational shortcuts. This is so cool. Where uh, you can talk to your device, and you can pass variables to it, and you can have multiple levels. Like um, I've got one for sponsors. You know, when I sign up a sponsor for the website. It'll say, what's the sponsor name? I'll dictate it. It'll add the sponsor to the shortcut. And they'll say, what, when does the sponsorship run? I'll give them a date. And it'll pass the date in as a variable. And it'll create an OmniFocus project for me with the sponsor name and all the deadlines based on that information I gave it with a conversational shortcut. It's crazy. It's That's kind of the dream of like speakable tech, right? That I could just have yeah. a conversation with my device and it do something for me like and it asks questions back and it understand what i want like yes you you have built the path that it's going down every time yeah but man that is out of all the stuff that's the one that i think i'm most excited about not that i'll use it all the time but that it feels like the future in a way that some of this stuff just doesn't yet yeah i mean it's not the science fiction thing where it's like a personality right where you tell it your problem and it figures out how to solve it this is like you said it's a very clear path that you have created through a shortcut but at the same time because they've made shortcuts so much easier to make it's a clear path that almost anybody can make mm-hmm. you know you can program if you're listening to this and you've never programmed you can program shortcuts it's not that hard and like some of the samples I put in this guide, I, I just built apps. I never was happy with any of the date calculators, so I made one in shortcuts. You know, So it's like you can make apps with this stuff. It, you can make it as easy or as complex as you want. It's a, I'm just so happy that Apple has put the money and time into this. 
what's cool about the conversational thing to me too is that it opens the door to your shortcut world when you're not necessarily even touching your device or where you can't type on it so situations like i run into this all the time it's one reason i think the home pod and and the amazon echo and these other devices are so popular in the kitchen is that that's a really common place you want to talk to your technology it means now that you can have automations and shortcuts available to you without looking at the screen it's it's cool it's just it's it's a neat thing like i said you're building the route the series going to take it is not uh a sort of robot on the other side and understanding what you want. You you have kind of programmed it to do what you need it to do, but it means that you can do it wherever you are without your hands yeah. being uh, accessible. And uh, it's it's pretty sweet. And we have to start somewhere, you know. Oh, I this mean, is how we get to that future, right? <laughs> like This is... It, exactly. I mean, like, let's say you have to generate a report for work. You could, with shortcuts, you could, you know, you could take the pre-canned text. You could have a conversational shortcut to ask you to give it, you know, the report title and the date or whatever. And it could generate that for you based on your voice. I mean, it's like, I, you know, it's just amazing to me when you think back to the original iPhone. And I thought that Apple was never going to give us any automation tools. I mean, we thought when they bought Workflow, a good portion of us thought at least a little bit that they bought it to kill it, mm-hmm. not to make it better. I mean, it, 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 because of all of the prior indications from Apple, I mean, you know, Sal Seguin was no longer with the company that, you know, the godfather of automation at Apple wasn't there anymore. I mean, I think the thought, a lot of us, the concern we had was Apple doesn't care about automation anymore. And that's not true, at least with shortcuts. It's great. I'm sorry. I'm I'm on my soapbox. I no, it's, this is awesome. I want to yeah. talk about the automation tab a little yeah. bit because this is something that is new this year, and it sort of bridges the gap between shortcuts, the application, and sort of the way I think about it is like a, a lot of stuff in the real world. So if you if you go to the new automations tab, there's a lot of triggers and stuff we can talk about. But what's really neat is you can create home automations, and this. This used to live in the home app, and now it's sort of both places. But you can have triggers do things with your entire universe of HomeKit accessories. Like I have a lot of lamps and lights in my office and stuff that are all HomeKit accessible. And I can now tie that stuff into what I can do in shortcuts. And I can do it for the the home. So my wife's phone, we're part of the same like HomeKit domain. She can... Uh, access these and and take advantage of them as well. But you can also create a uh, personal automation, which just pays attention to your devices. And and we can get into some of the triggers in a minute, but it it really kind of bridges the gap between the real world and the shortcut world in a way that we haven't seen before. No, I, I, it's amazing. And it's another one that seems to be obvious, you know, why doesn't automation get covered in the shortcuts app instead of burying it in the home app? Uh, uh, but, you know, and I want to talk, we're going to do a separate coverage of triggers later in the show because there's just so much to say there, but it, it really is a, a nice step. And talk about nervous, Stephen, I had put tons of time into these new triggers and halfway through the beta, Apple just pulled them out. And they they shut the automation tab out. In fact, if you're listening to this and looking at your 
uh, freshly installed 13.0, iOS 13.0, you're not going to see automation. You know, it's normally a, you know, usually at the bottom of shortcuts, it says my shortcuts and gallery at the bottom, but starting with 13.1, it's going to say automation at mm -hmm. the bottom. You're going to get that stuff with 13.1. So I was really worried. I had put a, put a bunch of, bunch of time in something that wasn't going to ship. Well, and they've added it, but it's not going to be out until the end of September. So a week or two after the show comes out, you'll get that automation tab. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to have a link in the show notes to an article by John over on Mac Stories that has the dates for all the releases because it's kind of staggered this year. It's a little bit messy. So 13.0 is coming out for the iPhones. 13.1 will be out at the end of the month. The iPad will be updated at the end of the month. So we're about 10 days. We're sort of in limbo where some devices have 13, uh, some don't. And then 13.1 hopefully will kind of unify everything at the end of September. Yeah, and it's great. I mean, it's fine with me that it only got it's like ten days after a release yeah, that you get fine. it. But um no, the automation tab is great and this is the place it should be. And I think this is gonna help more people discover shortcuts as they get in there to play with their home automation. And they've broken it up into both home automation but also personal automation, like Stephen was referencing earlier. I I'm very happy with uh, the overall direction and design of what they've done. Yeah, me too. It, it turns your phone into a remote control for all sorts of things, <laughs> you know, um, and it can pay attention to your location and device settings on the phone. And we'll get into some of that. But it's it's really it's really powerful because a lot of automation, especially on the Mac, is dependent like the trigger is dependent on something that the user does, right? So I download a, a PDF and then Hazel does its thing, or I plug in a USB drive and copy some JPEGs into a folder. And then, uh, you know, then I use automator to resize them all. Like it's the automation is often waiting on a trigger from me. And then it goes off and does its thing and saves me lots of time, but it's, it's always waiting on me. And with yeah. the automation tab and shortcuts, things can be happening without my intentional interaction. So just as my location changes or I get in and out of my car, shortcuts and other automations can be happening just based on my movement, not my pulling out my phone and pushing a button. And that, as we'll get into, is crazy powerful. Yeah, let's talk about triggers next. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Away. Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. They started with the perfect suitcase, and now they offer a range of essentials that solve real travel problems. Their luggage is loaded with features. The Away Carry-On comes in an array of colors, two sizes, and two materials, and get exactly what you want. It's lightweight and durable and made to last for a lifetime of travel. And because they think this way, it comes with a limited lifetime warranty, so they'll fix or replace your bag if it ever gets damaged. And, and I've been through a lot of airports this summer. One of my favorite features of the Away is the wheels. Four 360-degree spinner wheels guaranteed to make a smooth ride. When you're pushing this thing through DFW for like the eighth time over the summer, you, you want the wheels to do their job, and they really do on the Away carry-on. They also have the bigger carry-on, which is sized up to make the most of that overhead bin. And like I said, they're designed to last a lifetime. Everything is really well built. They're true quality products. You'll get a 100-day trial on everything plus free shipping within the U.S., Europe, and Australia. I have the Away carry-on and then also the large suitcase. That 
away carry on went with me all over the country this summer. I was in like five states in six weeks or something. And it just took all the abuse I gave it right in and out of airports and out of the back of lifts and taxis and Airbnbs and hotel rooms. And it, it looks great because these things are really built tough. I have the Rebel Orange Millennium Falcon away. Oh, that's good. Did you know they have such a thing? It's yeah, the medium one. It went all over Europe with me. It, it's just amazing. It just works. Yeah, they're, they're rock solid. So go check them out. And for $20 off a suitcase, go to awaytravel.com slash MPU and use the promo code MPU during checkout. Once again, that's awaytravel.com slash MPU. And the promo code MPU will get you $20 off a suitcase. Our thanks to Away for their support of the show and Relay FM. All right. So triggers, um, you know, we've talked a lot about what they've done with shortcut, but really shortcuts is two things. It is a trigger and it's an action. So you do something and then that makes something else happen. That's the nature of all automation. And traditionally with shortcuts, there were only two triggers. It was you push a button on your phone or your iPad, you know, it puts a button on the screen, you press it and then the automation happens or you give it a Siri voice command and it happens. Sometimes, <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but uh, and I remember when I was shipping the keyboard maestro field guide and there's all these cool triggers in keyboard maestro, like when you connect to a Wi-Fi signal or when you, you know, plug in a USB device, they mm -hmm. have all these great keyboard maestro triggers. And I was thinking, man, wouldn't it be amazing if we had that stuff on shortcuts? I, I remember thinking about it and like, oh, that's not going to happen for years, if ever. Right. And then like a couple months later, we're at WWDC and Apple announces this ridiculous long list of triggers. I mean, I thought at best we would get time-based triggers, like at a certain time of the day. But we, we got those, but we got a bunch more. When you turn your alarm off, you know, when you arrive at a location or leave a location, before you have to commute somewhere, you know, it figures out how long it's going to take to get somewhere. When you plug into your car play, it just goes on and on and... All of these things are now triggers and shortcuts. And like Stephen was saying before the break, you don't have to necessarily be involved now for automation to happen. Yeah, it's 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 really cool. So some of the the fancier ones, like you said, you mentioned time, which I, I was I was kind of the same, but you were like, Yeah, we'll get that one. You know, I've run a shortcut at four PM every day. But they went so far beyond that. So you have uh, alarms, which of course are closely re related. So if I set an alarm, I can use that as a trigger to set off a shortcut when the alarm goes off. And and you could see how that could be really helpful, right? If the alarm goes off, turn my music on super loud or turn the lights on yeah. or do, do this or that. text my spouse that I'm up from my nap, you know, whatever you need to do. Yeah, That one is is also pretty cool because the time one, it's it's flexible, but to change it like it, you've you got to go in and and you can change the date and time like you can other things in iOS, but the alarm to me at least feels a little bit more flexible in the sense that I can kind of have a one off and then sort of discard it if if it's if I need to. It feels a little more flexible. Yeah, like I use the alarm one to start playing. The song I use is from Star Wars, of course. The <laughs> um, the Force Awakens. There's a song in there called Ray's Theme. It's perfect for like morning, like getting out of bed, starts out with flutes. It's great. So I alarm turns off, 
starts playing that song. The lights turn on in the bathroom. I mean, just like things happen for me mm-hmm. automatically. And that's the whole idea of this automation. And that stuff, you just couldn't dream of doing that until we got this new version with the alarm trigger. Another one that I think is kind of magical is the Wi-Fi trigger. Because I think Wi-Fi is a perfect trigger for automation because it's so contextual. Like you go to work, you sign up with one Wi-Fi. You go home, you sign up with a different Wi-Fi. So having triggers based on connection to a Wi-Fi signal just makes absolute sense because it's rock solid. Yeah, that was the, maybe the coolest one to me with Keyboard Maestro because it it's basically a, a stand-in for location change. Yeah. But it it is uh, it's really cool. I did not see this coming to, to iOS anytime soon. Uh, but here it is. Or even CarPlay. You plug into CarPlay. Super cool. Send a text message to your your husband, wife, significant other, saying, "Here I am. You know, I'm getting ready to leave. You know, just all you do is plug into CarPlay." I used to use one when I my previous job. I worked downtown. It's kind of a long drive home. I had one that basically checked the traffic and sent my wife a text with my ETA based on traffic and, you know, the route that I would take. Yeah. Now you could have that, you know, but I'd have to remember to do it. I have to get in the car and then do it. I'd, I'd remember twice a week. And then she'd be like, oh, I didn't know you were on your way home. I was like, yeah, sorry. I forgot the thing. Well, well there's, an, there's another one that's really useful that you could use in your car, and that's an NFC trigger. And so you get an NFC sticker They they make, you can buy them on Amazon or you can get keychain stickers, whatever. It's just, it's a, it's basically got a chip inside the sticker that passes a code onto your phone. And starting with the iPhones that were sold, I think it's the XS that has the NFC um, detection hardware, but you just tap your phone to the sticker and that's a trigger now. So like I've got one in my in my fancy notebook where I just tap it and then it opens up day one for me because I do some journaling in both. So if I'm going to sit down with a notebook, I tap my phone to the sticker. It opens day one and gets me to a new entry. Um, I've got another one by the bedside table that starts off a whole different thing. And then I've got another one by the bedside table on the other end that, that shuts down the night. You know, I... Uh, you have to take some medication stuff at night and I want to turn the lights off without having my eyes open. I just use an NFC, I tap to it and it does everything for me. So you could put an NFC ticker in your car, sticker in your car. Yeah, I've got several NFC stickers in the office. So I have one by the base of my microphone stand that when I tap it with my phone, it does a couple of things. So it, when I record, I dim the lamps on either side of my desk I record with the overhead lights off. And then I turn the lighting on the shelves from white to orange. It's like, it's kind of like, I don't know. It's like being in some sort of secret CIA base or something or a submarine gotcha. in here. It's like, it's on now. It yeah, is on. Time to go. And then it opens timery to remind me to start my toggle timer that I'm recording. And it's, it's small. I'll put a link in the show notes to the NFC stickers I, I use. They're the ones I picked out on Amazon. I think it's Federico sent these my way. Small, they're white, so they sort of blend in really easily with a lot of furniture. But that's one that I've been using for a while now. And I've got a couple others for different lighting scenes in the office. So when I come in, I can just touch my phone to the bookcase and the the lights at the desk come on. And it's again, it's cool because you're not interacting with your screen. You're just sort of putting your phone up against something. And the NFC triggers are – what's cool about them is that they can be really discreet and, you know, people – like if someone came in here, I don't even know if they'd notice these, but I can just be like, 
having stuff happen by just putting my phone to something. And yeah. the uh, it, it, it's cool too because it allows – so like the CarPlay example to back up a second. If you're in a car without CarPlay or even without Bluetooth, you may not have a way to trigger that shortcut automatically, right? Like it, 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 But NFC opens that door because you can stick an NFC sticker basically on anything. And so it, it turns inputs in the world that Apple doesn't know about uh, into something that the iPhone – can use as a trigger for an automation. So it's, it's very empowering and these things are super cheap. I got a 10 pack for like six bucks. I mean, you can stick them on everything and just go to town. I like the idea of having it in a notebook. I think that's really cool. I could see, you know, if you're a student, you could have one, uh, maybe if you have a notebook or a textbook for a different class and you say that you're a time tracker and you want to track, okay, I'm doing biology now, tap it, start your timer. And then you're doing your biology homework. Like, yeah, it is endless what you could do with these. And because they're so cheap, I think it's a, f- a fun thing to experiment with and, and see what works for you over time. Yeah, I got a, like a bag of keychains, NFC keychains for like $10, like a bag of them. I don't know how many are in there. <laughs> the um, I don't, Did you watch the NFC trigger video I made? Uh, I did. You have super fancy NFC triggers, I have to say. <laughs> well, they the shortcuts guys gave me some. So I used some. I used some I'm a little of, jealous of those. They look super cool. Yeah. I only have like five of them, but I, I, I was very particular about those where I use those. Yeah. But, but <laughs> you don't the, want um, to waste those, right? Exactly. But the reason is when I did the video, I actually set up a camera so you could see my hand tapping the thing to the sticker. The thing I want, the point I want to make is it's immediate. I mean, it, it's not like it doesn't take a long time. You just get it in the general vicinity of the sticker and the, the shortcut triggers. It's, it's really fast. And the other nice thing about this is there's nothing magical about these stickers. They just send a dumb signal. So a different phone can get that same signal and it won't do the same shortcut you program. It'll do whatever that phone programs. So I'm now programming shortcuts into my wife's phone for these stickers I'm putting around the house that may do something different, you know, rather than play my jazz, maybe they'll play her eighties, you know, and, and the, um, and that can work that way because they're just, like I said, they're just stickers that are sending a signal to a phone. Any phone that sees it can do something different with it. So you can use it for the whole family. Uh, another one that is kind of what we're talking about, I guess, location type stuff. Uh, they brought in the arrive and leave triggers, which those have been in reminders as long as I can remember. Right. So remind me when I get home to, yeah, you know, feed the dog or whatever. And I like these. And reminders, I don't use reminders every day. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But when I do use reminders, it's always, almost always location-based. I just talk to Siri and say, remind me when I get home to do this. Remind me when I leave home, you know, don't, you know, to go by the post office or whatever. And if you have something that you need to do during a transition during your day as you leave work or get to school or go to the office, the arrive and leave triggers can be really useful for that because maybe you don't connect to that Wi-Fi or maybe you don't have CarPlay in that situation. It's just putting a geofence up, and when you cross it, shortcuts nose and something happens. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it, it all this stuff is is remarkable. Some of it requires a confirmation. Uh, not all of it happens, you know, in the blind, as they say. I guess they they want you to uh, they don't want you to put some shortcut on your device that's going to completely you know screw up your life <laughs> without a confirmation. But it, it depends on the specific trigger. But 
most of it, you know, doesn't require any confirmation and you're just off to the races. And I am very excited. I mean, it just opens up all these possibilities. And getting back to that automation tab Stephen talked about earlier, you have these personal automations. And what those are, those are all based on these new special triggers. So, you know, when I arrive at a place, that's where you activate it. You set up a trigger in the automation tab. And then from there, you can run a shortcut. You can build a particular shortcut for you. Like maybe say when I arrive home, turn on the flashlight on my phone. I mean, but you could also take an existing shortcut that you've built and just run that shortcut based on that trigger, which I think is probably the better practice because then you can uh, keep them as two separate and distinct items and you can make changes to one without affecting the other. But it's, uh, it's really powerful and, um, and completely unexpected. Do you think that we will see more of these in the future? Like looking through this list, maybe I'm just not creative enough. Like they 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 have given us enough triggers. I feel like my use cases are pretty well covered. But do you have something that you would want them to add here in the future? You know, I haven't really thought about it. Uh, I mean, the NFC between Wi-Fi, NFC, CarPlay. I mean, they've got most of it covered. Um, I definitely want the this the um, HomePod integration to work better. I never was very successful with that in the first iteration of shortcuts. And my HomePods have not been upgraded yet because the beta doesn't give me upgrades to my HomePods. And so that's a question mark in my mind. I would definitely like to see them improve that if, if that doesn't improve this year. But I, in terms of just triggers themselves, you know, I think it'd be cool if we had triggers based on plugging things into your device. Um, like... Why not have a trigger when you plug into, it detects you've plugged into your Mac mm. or when you plug in a camera connection kit? Yeah, that would be that would be pretty cool, especially the camera kit or, you know, um, even a, a full-blown like USB-C storage device, right? Like, yeah, yeah, like on iPad Pro, you, you plug in a certain, an SSD with the name, you know, archive, whatever, mm-hmm. and then make things happen. One trigger in here I want to touch on before we we move on is open application. So this is a very simple one where if you open an app on your iOS device, a shortcut fires. So like I did one just yeah. as a test um, of if I open Safari, send me a notification telling me uh, not to waste my time on Reddit. You know, just like as a, as a joke, yeah. just set this up. And uh, I uh, I'm curious for you. The the open app to me seems like the in a way like the least exact of any of these. Like I don't know. I, I a I probably don't have as many apps on my phone as most people, but I don't feel like I have a need for a shortcut to fire every time I open mail or Safari. But maybe if you had something more obscure on your phone that you don't use as much, only under certain circumstances, maybe it would be more useful. Like where do you land on this trigger in particular? It, it just jumped out at me as is a little unusual out of the list. Yeah, but it jumps out to me like as a completionist trigger. It's like, hey, can we do that one too? Okay, then we'll include it. Okay. You know, but the but there's two use cases for me that stand out for that. The first would be, um, like you talked about, um, contextually setting applications. Maybe when you open up Ulysses where you're, gonna, you're working on your big novel, you say, anytime I open Ulysses, turn on do not disturb, you know, and keep it on for two hours. 
um, that, you know, that kind of like do not disturb mode based on opening an application, I think would be a good use. Another one would be kind of social media shaming, kind of like you were talking about. Like if I open TweetBot, set a timer for five minutes and then send me a notification. <laughs> That's you know, good. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. and then the the other one that I think it, it, the obvious use case, it, it's like I when it first came out, I was hanging out with the the developer who made Timery. Timery is like the best toggle iOS application by far. And I said, this is like your, your trigger. It's like the Timery trigger. Like if you do time tracking through Timery or any kind of like toggle based system, anytime you open, you know, a certain application, if it's, if it's tied to a certain task you do for work, you could have a trigger a timer every time you open the application, which I think makes sense. Those are good examples. I like all that. But I mean, I, I, I am really curious to hear what people do with this stuff. Like I, I try, I covered, so what I did in the field guys, I took all of these and I did a separate video on each one, but I love hearing interesting ways people find to use these things like the car play one. Maybe you get in the car play and you put on your kid's playlist, you know, and you like, you know, I could just see a bunch of cool stuff that you do with this. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Moo, custom business printing and design. Save up to 35% until September 24. Moo is an online print and design company specializing in customizable business cards, postcards, stickers, and more for your business. You know, when I first started making business cards for Mac Sparky, I, I did the thing where you go to the big box store and you have them print out these really ugly cards and it just wasn't good enough for me. So I, I ordered some cards from Moo and that was the thing. And, and Moo is having a sale right now and it's live at Moo.com, M-O-O.com from September 17th through September 24th. You can save up to 35% off the following products. All their accessories, business cards, stickers, postcards, flyers, and this of course excludes shipping. The sale is the perfect time to reorder and stock up or design something fresh or finally order a product you've had your eye on. I got the move business cards. I got the little tiny ones and you could put multiple images on the back. So I had some that had a picture of me, some that had a picture of my branding, my logo on it. Nice and thick paper. I love handing those out. Um, Moo rarely discounts products this significantly. So if you're interested you do not want to miss out. So head over to moo.com slash relay today to check out Moo's full suite of products, including business cards, postcards, invitations, and letterhead. They have stickers. They even have notebooks and flyers, and that allows you to seamlessly promote your brand. Moo's quality is one of a kind with special finishes like gold foil. They now have silver foil, race spot gloss, and letterpress. And it's all these little touches that make you stand out. And if you don't fancy designing your own card, Moo recently rolled out a new template for business cards, which are inspired by their most creative customers. Like I was saying earlier, when I got those Moo cards, uh, it just changed the way my brand looked, and I loved handing them out. Um, I, they're easy. They fit in my pocket. I still use them all the time. Head over to Moo.com slash Relay. And our thanks to Moo for their support of the Mac Power Users and all of Relay FM. We've been goofing off talking about triggers. Let's talk about actions a little bit. The, um, you know, the other half of it, once you throw a trigger, how do you make something happen? And just like triggers, the, the tool of possible actions is much bigger than it's ever been. You know, because shortcuts is part of the Apple operating system now, we go really deep. You know, you can do system things. You know, we were talking earlier about turning on do not disturb mode. All of that's only possible because shortcuts is part of the operating system. 
yeah, when it was on the outside, that stuff just wasn't available to it, right? It's got to come into Apple, and then Apple has to open parts of the system up for users to to interact with, which has been a process, right? They've, they started that, and then this year they went a lot further. There's different categories of actions. There's like I would call system actions, like we were just talking about the integrated stuff. But there's also more application-based actions like uh, calendars. Uh, you, there's a bunch of stuff you can do with calendar events. You know, you can get the location. You can set times and dates and change and move. One of the ones, I do this block scheduling thing, so I made this cool shortcut um, where it gives me a list of all my events for the day. Like sometimes I've got the whole day blocked out, but then I have a client call that like grabs an hour in the morning and I just want to move like four of my five calendar events back an hour. Like there's an appointment that I can't move, but everything else I can. So I made a shortcut that gives you a list of your daily events. You tap on the ones you want and then input how many minutes you want to delay it. And it automatically moves them back that time. And that's like, there is no calendar app that does that. I looked, um, but with a simple shortcut, you can do it, you know, right from your home screen. The actions really are, like we were talking about earlier, part of the 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 bigger ecosystem of shortcuts. So I think things that maybe aren't that you'd want to do now from the action perspective, if they're not there on day one, they may be there in a month or two. And you you had the idea earlier you shared about contacting developers that are still relying on callback URLs and not this new system. Yeah. I would even say if you have an application that you use a lot and you can think of ways to automate it, reach out to the developer and share those because you may be using their app in a way that they haven't considered, or you may be wanting to automate it in a way that they haven't come across. And I think that developers who are uh, open to that sort of feedback, like this is something that we should be sharing as users because this ecosystem only gets better and Apple only continues to invest in it if sort of a lot of people are on board. And so it, if you run against the wall with an action that's not there, or doesn't do what you want to do, you know, find the developer on Twitter or find their email. But I've learned over the years that for the most part, they're very open to, to feedback. If you're respectful and, and lay out a good case, then they'll hear you. Yeah. And these actions is where we're going to get those improvements from developer-based additions. You know, um, mm-hmm. the current in the field guide, it's 28 videos in the action section in a hundred, uh, I'm sorry, one hour and 40 minutes. Like I'm going to add a PCALC video to this in the two or three weeks after launch, because now PCALC is, is in the club, you know, I'm sure I'll be adding more. Um, it's just, you know, it's just like this. It's like when I, you were a kid and someone gives you this big bag of Lego and all of a sudden all the options open up to you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we're getting with this new system that allows developers to you know control their own automation destiny on the mobile devices yeah i totally agree it, it is apple's given them the opportunities to shine here and they just have to reach out and take it yeah apple of course also has opened up the whole HomeKit world like we mentioned a second ago all of that is accessible now where you can trigger things in your home kit set up scenes or individual products individual devices and you can chain a bunch of these things together you know like other tools of automation, you don't have to have one trigger to go to one action. You can have a single trigger fire a combination of actions in the order that you want. And you can have several things happen with 
one trigger. And once you start combining those things, like my simple example earlier of change the lighting in here and then open Timery, it's a very simple example, but it's one that has saved me a ton of time uh, since I set it up because what used to take me two different interactions is now just one. Well, one of the things about shortcuts that I think people need to understand is that there are different kinds of shortcuts. You can make a one or two step shortcut that is very easy to make, but can save you time every day. You can also make hundred step shortcuts. Like I have one in here on a morning routine. That's like, I think it's 80 steps. Um, so it just depends on, you know, what you want out of it, but you don't have to make an 80 step shortcut to see a benefit. The simple one or two step shortcuts quite often are the best bang for the buck. They're definitely easier to troubleshoot later on. I've got a couple, I have one too, that's sort of a morning routine that shows me the weather and my tasks for the day and a couple other things. And if something in there gets wacky, there's a lot of stuff to sort through. Now I'm going to rebuild that in iOS 13 shortcuts because the way that it flows and is actually laid out in shortcuts is easier to parse visually. And I think that's a big change that it's kind of hard to talk about in a podcast because it is so visual, but you see it in the videos you see it if you play with it. Uh, it is easier to uh, pass data from one step to another or just move from one step to another and kind of understand what's going on. And with the new triggers, you could tie that to turning your alarm off. Yeah, yeah. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Uh, I want to talk about a couple uh, advanced things here, just things we haven't touched on yet. Sure. Uh, one being the uh, the ability to nest shortcuts, which is really cool, but... I think until you explain it, it's it was hard for me to sort of wrap my mind around it until I saw how you were doing it. Yeah. They, so the idea is, I mean, shortcut, the one problem with shortcuts, uh, there were two things I would improve with it right right away is I'd love to have the ability to copy and paste shortcut steps, even from one shortcut to the next. And I'd love to have a little better organization. But you know, those are small complaints given what we, we just received. Um, but the... Um, the one way to solve that first problem is by nesting shortcuts and you essentially create sw- shortcuts subroutines and those you know, because they have a command now that is run shortcut so you can have a shortcut that runs another shortcut uh one of the easiest examples because it's a one stepper is uh timery stuff like if you want to track time let's say i have a timer for production of series shortcuts or I'm sorry, production of um, Mac power users. Uh, so I have a timer for that. But rather than try and create that timery shortcut step in every um, shortcut I make, I just make a one-step shortcut that is start that timer. And then I can run that shortcut from other shortcuts, in essence, nesting it. And that way, if something ever breaks with that timer and I need to reset it, I don't need to go fix it in 15 different shortcuts. I can just fix it in the source shortcut, the one that gets nested. Make sense? It does. This is an area, too, where I think Apple has work to do in the UI of shortcuts because you end up with some things that maybe, like maybe that simple step you don't actually run on its own ever. Maybe you just built it to yes. run elsewhere and you're stuck looking at it forever. I wish there yeah. were a way to hide things or, you know, the crazy idea folders. Like, I think they have some more work to do in the visual organization of these things. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But but then there's some more complex nested shortcuts too. One of the videos I did, in fact, I put that one, there's one on YouTube already, which is the shortcuts based home screen. Mm-hmm. 
And that is all nested shortcuts. If you look at it, it's a choose from list. And so like I tap on the lightning bolt, which is my Max Sparky stuff. And underneath it, it's just running shortcuts. One of them opens up, you know, the mail application to my inbox. Another one creates a new task in OmniFocus. Another one gets me to my RSS feed for Apple stuff. Another one plays all my Apple themed podcasts. So I've got all this stuff under one button and that's a bunch of nested shortcuts. What about the difference between lists and dictionaries? I think you do a really yeah. good job of this in the field guide. But as people are progressing, especially if you want to make it conversational or interactive, you're going yeah. to run into these things. And uh, No, totally. What's the difference and when should people move from one to the other? Well, it, it, it really is dependent. There's two for the videos. So the first one is lists and the second one is dictionaries. Uh, for most uses, lists are fine. But with dictionaries, you get more power. You know, it's a, it's like a, a list on steroids. And huh. uh, an example is like one of the shortcuts I put in the useful shortcuts section, the downloadable ones is my packing list. And that's done with a dictionary. And basically I created a dictionary and I think that's actually a really good shortcut to download and play with if you don't understand dictionaries. But I just have a list of things like one's called basic kit that has like toothbrush and medicine and things like that. And another one's called a fancy camera. Like I'm going on a trip and I want to bring my fancy camera. Then it's got all a list of all the gear I need for fancy camera. Another one is journal. Another one is music. Like if I'm going to bring my, my horn and music. So whichever one of those you click, it's an entry in the dictionary, but then that dictionary has a list of arrayed items attached to it. So like I said, basic kit is not just going to be toothbrush. It's going to be a list of like 10 things that I always bring. And the way the shortcut works is it gives you the list of the categories. And for each category you check off, it gives you everything in that array. It creates a reminder for your packing list that has everything in that array for that trip. And it allows you to customize the list you bring on every trip. Does that make sense? It's kind of hard to explain it verbally. No, it does. I, I think dictionaries are great if you have a, a shortcut that requires structured data, right? Yeah. Like things that you want to either be repeatable easily without having to type them in every time, or you want to provide some sort of structure to a collection of of items or, or, or in this case, a, a list of, of text items. Yeah. So, so many times I find, I find this to be true, like on the Mac when I'm setting up some automation stuff of... I kind of build my automation, but then that creates like other issues that are like further efficiencies I could gain. And understanding how lists and dictionaries work and shortcuts is a great way to make sure that you're not creating a shortcut to like speed something up, but then you have to still enter a bunch of manual stuff later, right? You can you can feed it options for the future version of you to choose from or to refer back to and make the process fast. Not only the first time you run it, but the second and third time as well. Yeah, another advantage of dictionaries is it kind of gives you two arrays because for lists, in essence, shortcuts looks at a list as item one, item two, item three, and right. then you customize what's attached to that. So if I, I guess it'd be like a bunch of boxes on your shelves that ha each have a number on it, whereas with a dictionary, you can have a bunch of boxes on your shelves that actually have the name of what's in it on it. Um, and the uh, Watch the videos, it'll explain it more. But that's kind of what you're getting with dictionaries. Like uh, Base64 is another one. People never really understood it. Um, it's really not that difficult. It makes your shortcuts much bigger, but allows you to, in essence, embed images and data into your shortcut. 
And um, I, I was really happy with the way the video came on the, out on that one because it's it's not that difficult of a concept once you do it. And then all of a sudden it opens up all these possibilities. You know, what if I wanted to? Like the example I use in the in the field guide is I I put a watermark, like a draft watermark embedded into a shortcut. So you can, with one tap, stamp every PDF you want with the draft mark, you know. And stuff like that becomes, once you see how it works, then it just opens up all these ideas for you. Well, I think that's a, that's a good bunch of stuff to think about. Go check out this field yeah, guide. Sure. If you're curious about shortcuts, it's it's the place you need to go. Thank you. And it's, like I said, there's 40 minutes for free. Go check it out with the attached link. Uh, if you're interested in it, I really appreciate it. That's how I pay for my shoes these days. Um, the uh, huh. the discount code for MPU listeners is MPU shortcuts. All one word gets you $5 off. And um, let me know what you think of it. Uh, so we thought we'd round out this week by talking about uh, iOS 13, and I had the hopefully clever idea of we could talk about 13 things in iOS 13 that, that we like. Uh, so this is not a, a comprehensive, like, wall-to-wall coverage of iOS 13. If you want that, go check out Federico Vitici's iOS 13 review, which is uh, really awesome. Uh, if you want to really get into it, that's the place to, to go if you want more detail. So these are kind of the things that have jumped out at us, things we're excited about. And um, I'm going to start with the the new Reminders app. So Reminders has kind of gotten the treatment Notes did several years ago. You know, Reminders has kind of basically been the same since like the iOS 7, iOS 8 days, uh, sometime in there. And now it is much more of a, a task manager than just a, a list manager. You have a lot of powerful tools because it's integrated into the system. It can do cool stuff. Like you can attach different things. It can, you can set uh, a reminder to uh, ask somebody something. And then when you're messaging them in iMessage, you'll get a notification of, Hey, I see you're talking to David. You know, here's a reminder that you tagged with him. Maybe you want to ask him about this now, uh, all sorts of neat things. I'm going to make a real run this fall at, at moving to reminders. I really want to explore it, uh, in its fullness. There's a little bit of a caveat I just want to share. iOS 12 and macOS Mojave uses the the current, you know, sort of the current old version of reminders. iOS 13 and Catalina will run the new one. When you install iOS 13, you'll be prompted to upgrade your reminders to the new experience. If you do that, it will not sync with iOS 12 or Mojave or older devices. And so the new version only syncs with iOS 13 and Catalina. Well, Catalina is not here yet, and iOS 13 is not on the iPad yet. So be mindful of when you push that button. Yeah, it is a one-way street. So right now, for instance, I'm running reminders, the new reminders on my iOS 13 iPhone and iPad. My Mac and Mojave doesn't sync with those. It syncs uh, with the old system. My wife's on iOS 12 still, and so we're syncing our grocery list still that way. So you can kind of get in a weird state with this, but once Catalina's out, once everything's out this fall, uh, I think Reminders is going to be pretty powerful for a, a lot of people, uh, and I'm looking forward to to exploring it. I feel like for you, because I know you've had this like long journey you've been on with trying to figure out a task manager. Reminders might be the right balance for you of power and simplicity. I hope so. I mean, I'm using Todoist now, and it's it's 
other than being hideously ugly, is totally fine and meets what I need to do. But I, I think you're right. Reminders may be able to do it, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a shot. I will check back in later this fall. Yeah, it, it's not nearly powerful enough for the stuff I do, but it's uh, it really is a nice improvement. Well, my the one I would like to talk about is files improvements because that's the thing I whined about the most. Huh. Um, the uh, so you know historically I've had a lot of trouble with files on iOS, and the reason is because I try to use iOS as a real operating system. You know, I go out in the world. I don't have a laptop with me. I've got just my iPad. I want to manage files as well as work with them. And while they did add a files application, there was a lot to be desired. Uh, they have improved it. I don't think they're at the end of the journey yet, but the improvements this year are quite useful. The um, They've got multiple search criteria now in the files app, so you can have different ways to look. You can, um, you know, the the Sparky feature. Somebody at the fruit company told me that's called the Sparky feature. I, I hope <laughs> that's true. Um, but the uh, there, when you save a file, the save dialog box not only lets you rename a file, it also lets you create a folder. You know, you know that. I mean, I know I whine about this too much, but you know, one of the common problems I have is a client will send me like a contract review, and I want to add that to a new folder with the name of that contract. And you just couldn't do it on the iPad up until this iOS 13 release. They still have a ways to go in terms of tagging support. And by that, I mean, they didn't make really any improvements on tagging this year. But um, the file management is a lot easier than it was. Uh, this is the same kind of step we had a few years ago where they allowed you to finally save multiple files out of an email or just like move multiple files at once. Now we've got improvements to the files app. I'm not looking for me. The end game here is not that we get the finder on the iPad. I understand that it's not going to be as powerful, but I think the stuff we do day to day, you know, folder management tagging that needs to be on in parity with the iPad or with the Mac. Uh, so uh, up next for me, uh, I'm going to go with dark mode. I don't care for dark mode on the Mac, but I have been using it quite a bit on my iPhone during the beta process. Dang, it looks so good on the OLED display on the iPhone, you know, 10s and the yeah. the uh, now the 11 Pro. It can save battery life. I tend to use it more like in the evenings, uh, and you can in iOS 13. There's a setting to move to dark mode at night, and that's kind of how I've settled into using it. Apps can obey the system setting or they can t offer their own toggles or something like Overcast or TweetBot or the Twitter app. They've had dark modes for a while, and uh, it's kind of up to developers on how they adopt it. And if they say, we'll just do what the system does or still give the user the option to uh, override what the system is doing. So I think I think we'll sort of settle down into a uh, best practices over the coming months, but... Dark mode is cool, and it is a it is a fun to watch more and more developers kind of get on board with it because nothing is more jarring than switching to an app and it being uh, bright and shiny. It's really nice, like if you you know if you in the SO the significant other, one of you lights up your phone at night, and the whole room lights up. You know, mm -hmm. with dark mode, it makes a significant difference in the amount of, of brightness put off by the device. Um, I, I think it. I was surprised that it came to iOS after the Mac, but I think the implementation on iOS is better than on the Mac, which is kind of a kind of expected because of the way the operating system is more closed in. It's um, 
I, I think they did a good job with it. Yeah, they did. All right. The next one I want to talk about is long press or haptic touch. The um and the death of 3D touch, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so 3D touch was the idea, and it really only worked on the watch and the phone for many years. Of you would just press it hard, and something would happen, and it was like a hidden interface, and it never really took off that well. But I always thought it solved a problem that needed to be solved, and that is, the iOS devices need a right click, you know. It took Apple a long time to put a right click on the Mac and I guess even longer to put it on iPhone and iPad. But the software has got complicated and advanced enough now that we do need the ability to have a right click. So that's what this solves. The One of the big problems with 3D Touch is it never worked on iPad. The um, You know, with the iPad, I guess there was something with the technology to detect the 3D press, it would divert the glass. I don't really know what the whole problem was. I don't think they ever really explained it, but they never quite got it working on iPad. So what they've done now is what they call a long press, or I call it a long press. I think they call it a haptic touch. Yeah, which just means a long press and then the thing vibrates under your finger. Yeah, so you've got to you've got to figure out the rhythm of it. So it's like, I call it kind of the press until bounce. Like it gives a little bounce right before it opens up. Um, the icon does. So like if there's an app on your home screen and you just kind of press it long, then it bounces and you let go and then it opens up this contextual menu. Like, and one of the problems with 3D touch was it was easy to trigger jiggle mode with 3D touch. Like mm-hmm. if you didn't press hard enough, you got jiggle mode or so you, or maybe you were trying to open jiggle mode, but instead you invoked 3D touch. So it was, I think, you know, all it takes is one or two, disconnects with a user for them to just stop trying. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they put it all in this one contextual menu. For instance, to rearrange your apps now, you you open up this menu and there's a, one of the selections is rearrange apps and that invokes jiggle mode. Uh, so uh, I think they've, they've made a contextual menu that is going to be consistent, probably going to be used more by users because it has a consistent behavior now. And also, amen, it works on the iPad. So um, on the iPad, we now have the ability to have contextual menus on apps. So uh, they did that. So they made it more accessible. And they also spent some time thinking about, well, what's going to happen when somebody does this new touch on an application? And like, if an application has shortcuts, they show up, you know, it's just, I think it's, I think at the end of the day, it's a little frustrating because they went one direction and now they're going another. But I think at the end of the day, this is going to be better for the operating system. I think so, too. In fact, the iOS 13 beta, I've been running it with 3D Touch turned off to get used to this. Yeah. And the only honestly, the only place I really miss 3D Touch is on the keyboard where it used to be that you could 3D touch anywhere on the keyboard and move the cursor around. Yeah. And now you're limited to just long pressing just on the space bar to enter that mode. So that takes some getting used to, at least it did for me. Yeah. But past that, honestly, I haven't missed it because like you said, the collisions between 3D touch and long touch, long presses, and it was just messy. And they've they've cleared all that up now with, with iOS 13, with the new hardware I mean, these new phones don't have the 3D touch sensors in them. It is it is now uh, removed, like physically removed from the iPhone. So this is going to be the future. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think overall it will be better, even if there's some uh, getting used to it in the in the meantime. 
And I would like to see that contextual menu evolve. I think they've done a good job throughout the beta. I don't want them to stop. Yeah, I hope it's one of those things, too, where there's some options for customization at some point in the future. Right now, you're kind of just stuck with what Apple puts there in various apps. But uh, I could see it becoming more and more powerful over time. Well, it's not just what Apple puts there. It's also the shortcuts that were previously available through 3D Touch. So, like, you know, the Notes app allows you to create a new note make a new photo, mm-hmm. whatever. And yeah. so it does give you more than that, but you're right. I, I would like to see users have the ability, like what well, can we attach uh, shortcuts that we build to applications or icons? Up next, I have desktop Safari on iPad. We, we spoke a lot with this over the summer. iPad Safari has always been just kind of the big brother to the the Safari on the iPhone, right? It would load mobile sites very often, even though you had this big, expansive screen, all this power, no download manager, very limited uh, in certain types of, of web applications. And Apple really took it upon themselves to make Safari on the iPad as close as they could to the desktop version. And it's not perfect, but I'll say the websites that I used to have trouble with in mobile Safari on the iPad, they all work now really well uh, without having to go to the Mac. So like for my purposes, it's solved the problems I had. I understand it's not going to work with everything perfectly. I think it will get better over time. The way they're doing this behind the scenes is really bananas where they're, you have to sort of correlate a touch event to a mouse click. And what if there's a hover event and that they're kind of working all that out. And I got to say, it's, it's pretty good right off the bat. And I think it will just get better but the biggest, I mean, that's huge. But the other big thing for me, obviously, is the download manager that you can download files from Safari, put them in files, put them in photos, put them where you want to where you want to send them. It all works with the third party document han- handlers. So if you're like me and use Dropbox, it's all there. It's like I don't know why this took as long as it did, but that solves so many of the workflow issues I had with the iPad, where I was like creating a PDF and then using the share sheet to send it somewhere else. Like, really, I just want to save it somewhere, right? You had to jump through all these hoops in the past, if you could do it at all. And now it's just available to you all the time. It's just like with the field guide, because I make everything downloadable. Now you can download it on your iPad and save the videos on your your mobile device. Whereas before, you almost always had to really do it on the Mac without getting really fancy. Uh, so downloads much better. And in terms of just recognizing third-party websites, you know, the big three for me were Squarespace, where I do all my blogging, uh, my banking website, and Google Docs, where I work on the Mac Power users. And all three of those sites now work, whereas before they did not. I mean, that's that's the difference for me. I, I know I've just been reading some folks are having some sites that still have issues with the new Safari, but... I can tell you the three that didn't work for me now work. And that that's money right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, voice control. I want to just mention voice control. I, I've talked about it before on the show, but it's just so much better now. We really have a voice-to-text solution native on iOS and, and the Mac, frankly, that um, that works. I mean, there's no timer involved. Once you turn it on, you can talk as long as you want and it'll keep dictating. You can add a custom dictionary, which doesn't sync yet, but still you can add a custom dictionary. It'll acknowledge it. And if you're somebody who likes to dictate to your device, 
this is something you absolutely should try once you get this installed. And uh, there's different ways to trigger it. Like you can have it where it's always on and then you just tell it to wake up or go to sleep. Um, you can have it where it looks for your attention that you're looking at the device kind of related to face ID stuff. Um, I found the easiest and most reliable way is I just put it in the control panel and or control center. I pull down and there's an accessibility button. I turn it off and on manually when I need it. I don't need it all the time, but when I want to sit down and dictate for real, the voice control, big winner. Yeah, I think having it in control center is the right place uh, because it's just accessible so quickly. That's where mine is. And, and I'm not even mentioning that you can control your whole device. I mean, this is an accessibility feature. It's made for people that need to use their voice to control their entire device, and you can do that. But if, you, if you're just even just taking one subset of those tools and the idea of making a way to control or to dictate to your device, this is so much better. And you can also add custom commands. Like I've made one to send an email, to archive an email. I've got, you know, and they're very easy to do. So this, I think this will be a big game changer for a lot of folks. If you're a freelancer saving 192 hours probably sounds pretty awesome. And our friends at FreshBooks can help you do just that with their super simple cloud accounting software that makes all the admin work that comes along with being a freelancer, makes it all a lot faster. And you can save that time by moving to FreshBooks because it simplifies tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online. If we're honest, you could be using three different services for that, three different ways of doing it. And FreshBooks puts it all in one drastically reducing the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. We've been using FreshBooks at FM from day one, and the automation that's built into FreshBooks really makes uh, just a huge difference in my life. So you send an invoice to somebody and they, they don't pay on time, well, you don't have to manually chase those payments and send emails and see what's going on because FreshBooks can automate the late payment email reminders. You know, most of the time I found someone, it just slipped through the cracks and they get that, that reminder and uh, you're good to go. You don't have to chase them down. But if there's a question, FreshBooks can actually show you whether or not they've seen the invoice, whether or not they've opened it, whether they've looked at it, which puts the end to guessing games and awkward emails you can just see what's going on very quickly. If you're listening to this and not using FreshBooks yet, now is the time to try it because FreshBooks are offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of this show. There's no credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com MPU and enter the code MACPOWERUSERS in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Once again, that's freshbooks.com MPU. We thank FreshBooks for their support of the show and Relay FM. All right. Uh, I think you're up next, Stephen. All right. I'm going to uh, kick off the, the last half of the 13 with a feature I actually noticed the other day uh, for the first time, and I've run the beta for a while now. It's optimized battery charging. And so if you're like me, you charge your device every night. I've got a wireless charger. I drop my phone on. And the other night, I got up in the middle of the night, picked my phone up, and it said, hey, you know, we have charged you to 80% and we'll finish charging uh, when you normally get your phone up in the morning. And they're doing this to help uh, preserve battery life because having a phone that's always on the charger is not as bad as it used to be, but it's still more optimal if your phone isn't at 100% being topped off all the time and you're, you know, you're having energy that 
you're using energy you don't need. And this is a setting in the battery health screen. You can turn it on or off. So if you have a unusual sleep schedule, maybe leave it off because this is learning when you put your phone down, when you pick it up in the morning, it's charging it to 80%, which it probably does really quickly and then charges the last 20% in the hour or so right before you normally wake up. So if you're a person who that changes pretty often, like your work schedule is on some days, on some nights, this could get a little messy. But for most of us, I think this is a pretty cool feature. And just one of those features, like this is a very engineering-driven feature. They're looking out for your battery. And I think it's uh, I think it's pretty cool. And you get a notification when it happens, so you're not uh, surprised if you pick your phone up you know, an hour early and it's at 90%, you'll understand what's going on. So they do a good job explaining it. And uh, it's just, it's a little feature, but one that for some reason just really, uh, really grabbed my attention this year. No, I, I love it. I love that, that, you know, that they're working on problems like that now, you know, Hey, let's make, let's find a way to keep their batteries to live longer without being in it. I, I, I think that's a nice feature. Um, one that I really like is the revised share sheet. You know, the share sheet is the rectangle with the arrow pointing at the top of it. We use it throughout iOS. They've made a lot of changes with this starting with iOS 13. Um, this is one that went through a lot of changes during the beta process. But I think where it finally ended up is pretty good. So when you when you tap it now, uh, there's two types of scrolling. And I was always kind of confusing because there were two rows, but you didn't know why things were on one row versus another um, the top row now is generally people, and it remembers people you've worked with lately. Like as I scroll through mine, it's like got text messages to people that I've recently text messaged. So if I'm talking to my daughter and then I see a website I want to share with her, it's just one tap to, to send it to her. Um, uh, close airdrop stuff shows up there as well. Then the row below that, and these all scroll horizontally. They scroll from side to side. Uh, are applications that that you want and they improved like the management of that if you tap on the more button now you can pick what stuff can show up there or what doesn't but then below it it scrolls vertically and vertically you've got some of the system actions like add to reading list but you've also got all of your shortcuts that you want to fire off from the share sheet showing up there so we talked about triggers earlier for shortcuts. Well, another trigger is through the share sheet. And uh, you can now have individual shortcuts showing up in that share sheet. Uh, it used to be you had to click a button that said, give me my shortcuts triggers. So it was like two taps. Now it's just one tap. And you can actually select individual shortcuts or actions as favorites. So they always appear on top. And so the net result is if you've got a lot of shortcuts, you're going to have to go through and take a close look at the ones that you actually want to show up on the share sheet. Uh, but you can always pick and choose your favorites. And I think that um, I look at this from two vantage points. Number one, I think it makes my life easier having as someone who works with the share sheet often. I think it's a better management, but I also think it's probably more accessible for people who don't listen to shows like Mac power users and think about this stuff. Um, it's a little weird that you scroll two different directions, but it's also pretty obvious. So I think it's going to be overall another nice improvement. I, I'm a big fan of this. And if I go back to an iOS 12 device that, the share sheet just feels so kludgy yeah. and slow. It's yeah. it's it's a really nice improvement and to something that we use. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't even know how many times I use a share sheet a day all the time. Yeah, and they've done a really good job with it this time. Well, logically, the old one didn't entirely make sense, you know, and and now it does. 
Up next for me is CarPlay. So I've got a truck that I put a CarPlay head unit in last year. So I use CarPlay anytime I drive. And with iOS 13, they've made some really big changes to it. These changes are divided into things everybody gets and then things that new like car manufacturers can add to new cars in the future. That I don't care so much about, but I'm not in the market to buy a new car anytime soon. But your existing CarPlay installation now uh, gets a, a bunch of new things. You get a calendar app, which I wanted for a long time, so you can see your upcoming events. And if you have address information, tap those, and it opens maps. If there's a phone number, you know all that stuff is there. There's a settings app now, so you can change some settings from the head unit itself. There's a new light mode and a couple other settings you can change without having to dig through your iPhone. If you do pick up your iPhone, though, when you're in the car, it used to be that Say, so say that you had Apple Maps open on the CarPlay screen. Apple Maps would be open on your phone. And if you switch to Overcast on your phone, CarPlay would switch to Overcast. They were linked. That's no longer true. You can have independent apps open on CarPlay or your phone, which is great because you may have someone in the car with you and they need to send an iMessage on your behalf, but you want the navigation up. Now you can have both. And then lastly, the the home screen for CarPlay has been rearranged. It still has the grid of apps, but then one screen over, there's this tile view. This is not as customizable as I would like it to be, but I think they'll, you know, could, could add to it in the future. But as of right now, you get maps on the left-hand side, and then on the right, you get some series suggestions. So, you, you know, you get in the car and it's like, oh, directions to your home, or if there's a place that is... Next on your calendar, it may show up there. Then you have uh, now playing, so it'll show your podcast or album artwork, a pause and some skip controls, and then uh, options. Uh, so for me, like I have a uh, HomeKit garage door opener, and that shows when I get in my truck at home, it knows that that's a shortcut or a, an automation that I do often through HomeKit, and it, it makes that available to me. So it's it's not as context aware as it could be. But I think it's way better than it used to be. It looks better than it used to. All the artwork's bigger and and brighter. Uh, I really like where they've gone with it, and it's uh, you know it's just the same CarPlay that it's always been in in a, in a way that it's still a limited number of apps and it still can be a little slow at times. But uh, all in all, I think it is a big improvement if you're driving around with one of these. Uh, kind of built into your car, you know, like mine is aftermarket, but if, especially if you, if you have buy a new car, like your car is getting better with an iPhone update. Like that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's strange. The first time you plug it in, you look at the screen, you're like, what happened here? It is strange. In fact, my, my wife, uh, we bought her a new van this summer and it has CarPlay. And when I drive it, it's like I was 13 CarPlay because it's CarPlay is completely driven from your phone. Yeah. But then her phone is plugged in. It's iOS 12. And it's been funny to see both in the same car. It's like, oh, yeah, this has come a long way this year. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that the bit, the big improvement for me is just the data display. Um, it's cleaner, easier to read as you're driving down the road. You don't want a lot of information, but the information you do want, you want easy to, to find and see. And I think they've done a lot of nice work on that. Mm -hmm. One improvement that I think didn't get much press from Apple, and I think people will start realizing this once they get it installed, is video editing. You know, all those cool effects and things you can do with photos on your phone using the Photos app? Well, now they all can be applied to, to video. I mean, it's like they've taken... It's like, what did it used to cost to 
get color correction done on professional video, you know? Uh, I mean, that's a whole, that was a whole industry for forever, right? If now you can do it on your phone. I'll <laughs> <laughs> also put it. I mean, the, the thing that it sends home for me is increasingly, I know that for a lot of folks, the iPhone is their camera. Some folks get a fancy camera too, but I, I feel like for video, the iPhone is, there's even a stronger case that the iPhone should be your video camera. I mean, between yeah. the stabilization and all these effects built in, it's like, I don't know that you can get a better video camera without spending a lot of money. And it, man, it, to me, it just shows how powerful Apple's processors have become. They can just do this on the phone. You used to have to have a big giant tower with fans and all sorts of stuff in it to make this happen. And, now you just do it with the thing in your pocket. It's pretty cool. Yeah, like with a new phone, I mean, this is more hardware related than software, but they are doing HDR on 60 frame per second 4K video. So for each unbelievable each each frame of your video, it's taking a um, a bright and a dark one and merging them for HDR's purposes as it's going at 60 frames per second. It's like I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> My next one is, is closely related. The Photos app has gotten an overhaul in iOS 13. I think we've all had the experience of, I, I know I do this, right? We're at some place with a family. I take a bunch of pictures and I maybe don't weed them out the way that I should. And Photos now is doing a lot of work to surface what it thinks are the best photos by a lot of metrics, looking at the lighting, the framing, people's eyes are open, that sort of thing. But now when you are looking through uh, the Photos application, you have a couple of new options. You have uh, years, month, and days. And so I can look and, like, for instance, on the days, uh, we had a birthday party for one of my kids this weekend. And so it has a little collection of all those pictures, and it picked a cover photo for it. And if I want to see more of them, I can go into it. And this changes over time. And so especially, like, in the month view, uh, that what it surfaces will change will be different throughout the year. And it's just working really hard to show you your best stuff. Of course, you can still go to all photos and get the old view you've always had. Uh, that that hasn't changed. But for someone with a lot of photos, this is a really nice way to have your photo library managed for you without having to manage it yourself. I think for a lot of people, that's going to be going to be really nice. And uh, I think it's going to do a good job at surfacing stuff over time. So the holidays come around, it should surface things from previous years, holidays, and you know, things that they've been there a long time. You could always search for that stuff, but now Apple's going to try to surface it for you. And I think a lot of people are going to be going down memory lane far more often than they used to because of this feature. I remember when photos first came out and iPhoto got shut down and a lot of people were complaining that iPhoto was better. But I feel like what they did by making it a unified app across all their platforms and all that kind of foundational work they did several years ago, I think we're seeing the benefits of that now because the Photos app is, mm -hmm. you're not going to convince me that iPhoto was better than this because they've done some really great stuff. Another one, we're getting towards the end here of our 13, but one that I just wanted to point out because a lot of people won't even realize it's there is now you can swipe on the keyboard. And, you know, that's always been, there've been third-party swipe keyboards. I've tried them in the past. My big hangup was that I hated switching between them, you know, and, and I do like some of the features of Apple's built-in keyboard, but now you get swipe on the built-in keyboard and you can tap or you can swipe or, or mix them. 
You still got the Siri button there. You're all good. I'm not a huge fan of the swipe typing. I was just going to say, I bet this is something Steven never does. No, well, it's for like RSI issues. Like it kind of kills my thumb after a while. Yeah. Uh, but I will say that the Apple keyboard, its swiping seems a lot smarter than some other keyboards I've tried in the past with like guessing what you wanted. It's pretty cool. I'm not going to use it all the time, but it's. I guess it's nice if it's there. I know some people are going to absolutely go crazy for it, though. Yeah. It's very popular in third-party keyboards, and especially on Android, where it's been around for years. Uh, a lot of people really like it. One more, Stephen. Give us one more. Uh, I've lumped audio changes <laughs> into one. Is that because maybe I added one halfway through the show? Yeah, you had 14. It's like, well, we, we, so now I'm just combining two. I was wondering if you noticed. <laughs> yeah, so there's there, there'll be audio sharing. This is one of those things that's not in 13.0. It's going to come later. But I'm excited when it shows up. Lots of audio sharing stuff. So if you have two people with like two sets of AirPods, you could have one person listening to something and then two people listening to the same thing. Just kind of making audio more social on the phone, I think it's going to be really neat. So, uh, it, of course, it'll work with AirPods and the Power Beats Pro and all the all of Apple's fancy stuff. It's not there yet, but it, but it'll be coming. This is a silly thing, but one of my favorite things in iOS 13 is the revised volume overlay. When the iPhone launched, it inherited the volume overlay from macOS, which we're all really familiar with, right? It's a big transparent palette that floats with a speaker icon. That's fine on a 27-inch iMac Pro, or if you have five displays hooked up to it like David, totally fine. <laughs> when you're on a phone or an iPad, it takes up too much space. And now on the iPhone, you hit volume up or volume down, the volume indicator is just a little notch next to the volume buttons that fills up as you turn the volume up. Very discreet, but still really clear. iOS 13.1, if you have AirPods in, the little icon changes from a speaker to a little AirPod or to headphones. Like It's like a little whimsical touch. It doesn't overlay your video you're trying to watch or or anything like that. Finally, they've taken care of this, and I am so glad. That, yeah, but the, the fact that they're fixing that, the volume UI, that, that kind of tells you something about this release in general. I feel like they're getting, you know, iOS is no longer a baby operating system. And now they're they're getting down to the things like the swipe keyboard and the volume UI and some things that have been rough edges for a lot of people for a long time, but never high enough of a priority that it made it. And now they things like that are making it. I think that says something about this. It's uh, not the most important feature they've ever done, but it's something that you see every day and they want to make it a little bit better. So thumbs up for me like a share sheet is a good another good example i mean they had a usable share sheet but it was never quite right and this year they said okay let's rethink this and fix this so i i like those kinds of changes because as a as a power user those are the areas that cause me frustration i want to create a folder when i save a document i want a share sheet that's more intuitive you know and uh, a lot of these changes scratch those itches this year and i think that's a good thing all right, uh, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. Thank you to our sponsors today, 1Password, Away, Moo, and FreshBooks. Go check out my Shortcuts Field Guide. Gang, I put three months of my life into it. <laughs> Don't forget the, <laughs> the, uh, the discount code MPU Shortcuts to get $5 off, and we will see you next week. <laughs>